sing, sing with me. Cool jacket because I'm about to take it off because it's too hot. Wow. I know, I got the door open. We're good? Keep the door open. We're going to cool it off a little bit. I did eat food and I was satisfied. I don't see any problem with what you did. Check this out. The Hopkins are going home. What? Goodbye. I want to make note that Nehemiah Hopkins has eye surgery on December 2. He will have his cataract removed and his lens replaced. He expects to be at the Hanukkah party that night. Absolutely plausible. Absolutely plausible. So let's, uh, let's commit to lift him up in prayer. Amen? Okay. Which camera should we wave to? Yeah, well, let me talk about the cameras. <laughs> I have it slightly disclaimer. It is, it is focused completely on Melanie Wright. And, uh, As it should be. Everybody uh, watching from afar can see Mrs. Wright blushing. Yeah, we do have two, we do have two cameras hot today. Um, there is one on the piano. Facing the beautiful people. And there is one on the wall facing the beautiful people. I'm in both. So uh, we're, uh, we're experimenting. It's strictly on uh, invitation only. And currently, the ones that have been invited are my four daughters, my wife, and um, David McDonald uh, up with Torah North. And I believe he has shared that with uh, Mark Pittock, who is uh, very ill this morning. So. Um, we're testing on Tuesday nights. Camera comes on automatically at quarter to seven. Goes off at nine o'clock. Uh, so for those who can't make it to the tidy class because they may have to work for a little bit and got to be ready and all that, um, this gives you an opportunity. Um, our hope is eventually to just make it a public camera so that the folks can come during our services and uh, see from afar. We recently had some uh, emails from uh, Jim in Wisconsin. Jim is under the impression, and rightfully so perhaps, that he is the only Torah keeper in all of the state of Wisconsin. Uh, <laughs> so, there's a few in Hudson. Yeah, there's a few in Hudson. Right? So uh, he is, uh, it's a small group. And he is, um, he's in the middle of nowhere, and we're hoping to open this up for him. So that's the deal there. Uh, by way of announcement, for the, yes, they are on right now. That's why you see the blue light on both cameras. Um, for those of you who were not here two weeks ago, a couple of announcements. Uh, first off, uh, the fifth Shabbat of this month. 
I got you. I'm looking for him. Oh, he's coming in still. He's coming in still. Judah is being bar mitzvah. He will be bar mitzvah on uh, on the fifth Shabbat. So I know that you all are uh, invited to come to that. And uh, Morgan has placed us on the meetup. On the meetup. If someone doesn't have that or needs uh, invitation, let us know. We'll send you the information. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, ma'am. I set up the meetup. We were the only ones attending the bar mitzvah. When I looked a couple days ago, oh, no, there were 50 people. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah. We got yeah. 73 already, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, so if you got uh, an invitation via email, great, respond to that. You should also go to the meetup, and, and let's get it so that uh, we can have a good idea of who's coming and what's happening there. So it's exciting. Uh, yet again, another young man being added to the roles. Two weeks ago, uh, we opened our portion discussion with uh, a little soliloquy from me. Do you know what soliloquy means? No. Look that up later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk by myself during the soliloquy, to give you a hint. Uh, we ask for feedback all the time. And some of the feedback we've gotten of late is that, gosh, you know, the, the portion discussion is... Plus, it's sort of getting a little boring. I mean, there's hardly anything new. And we read this last year, two years ago, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. So we have many, many new people here. We also have many folks who may not be new, but who are just kind of waking up. You know, the ones that have been in the fog about the Torah, and yet they're still coming. So, I want to encourage you, we're, we're going to change things up a little bit, and, you know, in the past, we, we, we've, we've listened to some of the droshes, and it was cool, and then the next year, we didn't do that drosh, because, well, we did that drosh last year, and, well, we're going to look for Messiah on the page. Oh, we're going to start with the apostolic, so we tried a lot of things. So, what we're going to do, from now on, leave that open, please. Um... That's our latest um, What we're going to do now is encourage you. If you've got a drosh from this portion and you think, well, I'm not going to share that because I've shared that in the past, shame on you. Share it. We've got new people here who've never heard that drosh, and maybe you're like me. I can't remember the drosh from last year at all. I need to hear it. Because... Why do we read the Torah every single year? Because the repetition helps us to remember. So I'm going to encourage all of you, especially you guys who come up with these. Hi, Ben. How are you, man? I didn't know you were here. It's good to see you. Love you, Cal. Um, like Greg, and Rick, Isaac, and Joshua, and Gregory, and Peter. I'm going to name every guy. And, right, I could go through every guy. All of you guys that are coming up with these cool drushes, drushim, don't hold back. Let's let's go through. Even if we've heard it before, even if you think it's old hat, let's do it again, so that we can hear that explanation and that story, and it will make that text come alive. Is that clear? No. What is drash? Drash. Yes, sir. Drash means uh, a searching out, and in in our vernacular, it's most. Um, easy parallel would be a commentary or a sermonette digging deeper. or a digging deeper for something. So these drashes are like we heard two weeks ago as I think 
Lori was, uh, Lori said, in the words of Rav Upham, <laughs> and she went through a drive that he had given like three, four years ago. And others said. And others, that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So for those of you who don't read the Talmud at all, you just completely missed that joke. <laughs> and it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it wasn't funny at all. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was sort of funny. There was no money. Okay. Well, there was some money. Okay. All right. So, yeah. All right, so, so that's, that's going to be our... Yeah. 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 You guys have one Princess Diaries. Princess Diaries. Yeah. There was no money. Well, there was some money. How embarrassing. Oh, that's oh, thank you, Frego. Thank you, Frego. Okay, so are we good? Has everybody got that? So we're going to dig in, and if there's a very cool drosh, you share it. And I don't think anyone here is going to say, oh, I've heard that so many times, I'm sick of it. Today is the 6th of Kislev. What is the next holiday on the calendar? Hanukkah. Hanukkah. What date? 25th of Kislev. Not the 25th of December, but the 25th of Kislev. It's actually the 27th of November. Correct. It's the 94 Thanksgiving. Well, this Thanksgiving Day, which starts in the evening. The earliest on the solar calendar ever. Thanksgiving is on the Gregorian calendar. It starts at midnight on Thursday. It's true. 12 a.m. But, but the Han holiday of Hanukkah starts the evening. That's right, yeah. six hours. That's early. what I just said. It starts the same day, the evening of that day. No way. There's just no reason to, there's no reason to do that. All right. So this particular portion, by its A, anyone out? Who went out? Where did he go? Have we seen this place before? Like last Shabbat? Yeah. Shab Shabbat before? Where Where is this place? It's in the south. It's in the okay. And who went there last? Yitzah. No. Eliezer. Eliezer for Yitzah. Right? Okay. And he got a wife. Jacob's there now. And what happens? He leaves. He gets a wife. <laughs> well, he gets and then he gets another wife. And then he gets a job. And then he leaves the job and comes home. And there we have it. Let's pray. No. He just wanted to work from home. That's right. He just wanted to work from home. That's good. Yes, sir. This passage is chock full of really interesting allusions to the Exodus, um, particularly towards the end of the passage, which is especially interesting because it opens with Vayetse, which it comes from the same root for exit. Um, it's out. Yah, right. uh, which is the same. So when we say in the Exodus, talking about the people of Israel, in Hebrew, we would use the same word, the same root, as this passage begins, which is kind of cool. It's like a parallel from the beginning. I like it. I like it. So, in an attempt to get everybody to drosh ad infinitum, I will um, kick us off here with the... Uh, with the text beginning in chapter 28 and verse 10. And I'm pretty sure that I've got a blessing in this. Is it a blessing for everything? This is the blessing for verse 10? No. Oh, man, I got all kinds of stuff here. It's XXV. But, yeah. 
Thank you, sir. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran. He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place, which were arranged around his head, and laid down in that place. And he dreamt. And behold, a ladder was set earthward, and its top reached heavenward. And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. What's the first thing you think of? Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Okay, so other than Led Zeppelin, great guy you've got there. And by the way, a big muzzle tov. It's done for We're all learning the Sephardic tune. It'll take two years, and then we'll sing to him. What do you think of when you uh, when you hear about this passage? I mean, it is it's what we just read, right, in the Apostolic Scriptures. Yeshua, John, chapter one. Daniel, the angels. Daniel and the angels. The angels of of different kingdoms. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Jakey. Jakey. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I think of the in in uh, well, it could be any of the gospels, but when the shepherds see the angels in the the sky, they're saying glory to God in the highest. That's what I think. Okay, top of the ladder. Just yeah, came halfway down. Okay, okay. Now I think that's weird, actually. No, no. That's, that's good. And I'm glad you shared it. Yes, behind me. Before yes. that, before we get to the ladder, what does it signify that he left Beersheba and went to Haran? He was more of a wine drinker. Because he was righteous. Did you say he was a wine drinker? That's great. Yeah. Pray. Yes, sir. No, no, go ahead. Well, I, um, do you have an answer? I do. I'd rather someone else. Well, I think, <laughs> similar to our conversation earlier, there's a there's si- there's simple geography that if you draw a line between Beersheba and Haran, you come across a place on the way that we all would call the place that is being signified in the Hebrew. But okay. Is there so a mystical reason. So so before we get to a mystical myst- mystical reason, where we're going. I want to help. I want to help Marianne with her Hebrew. She's studying Hebrew. Is everybody glad she's studying Hebrew? Yes. Okay. So, Hamakom means in English the place, but it's also a name. It's a name throughout the scriptures for God Himself. He is the place. He is Hamakom. Back to you. Or are you jumping over here? I'll go over there. Go over there. We got some punch. One of the. One of the. Scriptures that this passage reminds me of. Can you hear him? I can barely hear him. No, she, she's chewing. She can't hear him. <laughs> one, of the, one of the scriptures that this passage, this first passage reminds me of, is from Proverbs 30, verse starting in verse 4, which reads, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has cupped the wind in the palm of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's Son's name? name. Surely you know. Um, 
Battle so, preach, brother. I mean, you got two hours. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's enough said. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Amen. So the one who ascends and descends, which of course we read from the apostolic scriptures, you know, this morning, um, is hinted at here in in this proverb from chapter thirty, and you are sort of expected to know his name and his son's name. It would it so. would be poor if you did not, right? Hmm. So, uh, in John chapter 1, right at the very end, we read this morning, Yeshua decided to go to the Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moshe in the Torah and also the Nebuchadnezzar, the prophets, wrote Yeshua Hanatzret of Nazareth, the son of Yosef. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Yeshua saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? It's kind of funny asking God how he knows you. <laughs> Yeshua answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, astonishingly, Nathanael doesn't treat being under the fig tree the way I would treat being at Harris Teeter. If you saw me at Harris Teeter, who would care? So you saw me at Harris Teeter. I, when I, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. This is so astonishing to Nathaniel that he says, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Yeshua answered him, Because I said I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? That's a little much. You will see greater things than these. And he said greater things than these, implying that this was pretty great in and of itself. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He is claiming to be the latter. Yes? Wow, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I said that one four years ago. Yeah. Nobody remembered. Good thing you said it again. I got him. Uh, I was, I was just trying to figure out Taylor's Taylor's question about Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran, and one of the commentaries I read said, "Why didn't the scripture just say he went towards Haran, which would imply that he left?" And the commentary was saying that the reason they pointed out that he left was because he was a righteous man. And that when a righteous man leaves somewhere, it impacts the place. He it lives. impacts the place. I like that. That's cool. Good comment. So, do you want me to come back to you? When you want me to come back to you, you're going to say something, right? I'll, I'll say that now. There you based okay. on. So, one of the commentaries I read of why Jacob left Beersheba, which was in the land, and starts heading towards Haran, which is outside of the land on the deeper level, is. And you could go a little bit too mystical with this, but um, moderate. Mystical would be this is the he's leaving the tents of study. His little he's sheltered for a, a long time in his original habitat of studying in the tents, presumably studying, being holy, so on and so forth, and going into Haran, the world, so to do business. So he's leaving righteous a righteous place and headed into a hostile place. And the story bears out the consequences right. from that. Good. This parallels uh, the book of Ruth as 
her father-in-law leaves the land of promise. I think you, then you, then you, then you, then you. I want to speak before we're all welcome. You got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Almost everybody does. I'm on a, I'm on a slightly different topic, so supposed to dovetail oh, off. Slightly different. Day. Anybody have same topic? Same topic, same topic, you're up. Go. Okay. Um, one of the things about this passage that I just noticed this morning when we were reading the Hebrew along with, with our homage um, <laughs> that I thought really stood out, that was kind of cool, is Yeshua plays off of the ladder. Um, yeah. And saying that he is the son of man to be ascending and descending on him, like the ladder, or Hamakom. But you really, or the or the, yeah, that's true. But the only play, but the, one of the things that makes that stand out is the fact that there's a word repeated multiple times throughout this passage, and that's the word for head. The word Rosh. for head, Rosh, shows up here. Jacob laid down his head on the stones. Okay. Head. Then it says the top of the of the ladder is also the, the same head word. Of the, ladder. the head of the ladder. Okay. Okay. Then you see again that. Uh, Jacob talks about the um, like the head of the stone that he anoints with oil. Okay, cool. And right. so you see, like head shows up like over and over and over again. Yeah. What's cool about this to me is it reminds me of not only the passage in John because you got a head, the ladder's got a head, the stone, which is like an altar, also yeah. has a head. Yeah. But it gets me thinking about the con the concept of God like living, sort of dwelling with us, in us, around us. Like, the ladder is where God is. The top of the ladder is where God is. Right. He's at the top the, of the ladder. The place of his abode. Okay. The altar is also a sort of a place where we meet with God. Again, same concept. Mm -hmm. They both have to do with, with the head. But as people, we also have a head. And so a righteous man like Jacob, and ultimately like Yeshua, in our place is also where we can meet with God, in a sense. As Paul talks about, are you, are you the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right, right. So we, like the rock, anointed... Yeshua, of course, is also anointed. Same concept. And an anointed temple. rock, actually. Yeah. yeah. So um, we carry God's presence with us <laughs> in the same way. And it's really interesting because this, this, the sages teach that like Abraham was like a chariot for God's presence. So our lives also need to be the same way. So just like the place mm. is a place where God's presence is, yeah. the altar is a place where we meet with God. Yeah. So we also need to be a place where God's presence dwells and where other people meet with God. I like that. I like that. That's good. So the Holy Spirit and that whole flame and wick thing that the we lights, learned about two, two years ago. Or so. Very nice. Yes, go. My, they're talking about my Purim costume. <laughs> I was talking about the classy talk which led up to the Purim costume. Yes, great. Okay, so a couple comments. One comment on the ladder. One idea when it says that the angels ascend and descend on him is uh, the idea is it's the on him is in reference to his authority, meaning that Yeshua oh, had his ability okay. to command a uh, legion of angels right. to come Which he said down at the end of his life. Right. right. Cool, okay, so, cool. Yeah. Uh, it, because presumably only certain people could command the angels of heaven to do things. I'm thinking two off the top. Of yes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's one idea there. Um, I like that. Picking up on the idea of the head and the stone. Okay. Um, Evan is the word for stone in Hebrew, rosh for head. The allusion, the remez for me, goes back to the Chalel. Evan ma'asu habonim ha'ita lerosh pina. Don't you this love it when is, you talk that way? <laughs> this is the chief. Stone. The builders have rejected yeah. the chief cornerstone. Yeah. So, rosh, Evan, right? right? So, those two words are hinted here. And it's interesting that the, the Rosh Evan here is anointed. 
Mashiach. Okay. So it's it's a clear picture of Messiah. Um, The last comment is in with respect to the 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 going out, right? Uh, So you have, you know, Jacob fled. in the, you know, in the last portion, he flees, uh, and he's leaving. As as uh, Taylor pointed out, he's leaving uh, the tents of righteousness yeah. of his father, and, so, and he's going into exile, as it were, mm-hmm. right? And Haran Padanaram is a picture of living in exile, living outside the land of Canaan. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, so how long? So in, in this in this story now, you know, in, in the prior last couple portions, Yitzhak represented a picture of Messiah. Right. In the at the end of the last portion, last week's portion, that role now passes to Yaakov. So Yaakov is now a picture of Messiah. Right. Okay. Um, so it's a picture of Messiah, as it were. You know, there's two there's two pictures: one of Messiah, and one of the nation of Israel going into, into exile. exile. Right, right, because as the fathers do, exactly. the children follow. So he's going into exile, and how long did he stay in exile? How long was he in Haran in Padanaram? Twenty years. Twenty years. 20 years. So he's in exile for twenty years, and then he returns to the land. Twenty years, two thousand years. You know, so there is a connection here. That'll preach too. Of the the. Um, 2,000 years ago, right, the Beit El, as it were, was, was destroyed and we, and we went out, right? Mm-hmm. And we've been, in, we've been in exile ever since. And Chazal say that Messiah is in exile with his people. Yeah. Um, and so there's kind of an illusion between the 20 years and the 2,000 years or the two days that Hosea talks about. Right. Uh, so there's just a neat, neat I like link it. there. I like it. Good. Jonathan, Yonatan Hak Gadol, BT. Birthday Sadi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hamakom, <laughs> the, the word for place, as he mentions, is also a word for God. Where do we know from the Sudur, or from really just cultural expressions, that Hamakom is a name for God? The popular phrase, or, or it's more like a salutation of comforting, and he God forbid you should have to say it, but mm-hmm. right. may, may the God who is everywhere, yes. the omnipresent, comfort you and the, the other mourners. When, when you're, when you're uh, yeah. sitting, you visit someone who's sitting right. So you call God there, you greet people with Hamakom. Literally, may the place comfort you. Yeah. And why is that the most common and most popular word uh, for or name of God in, in that particular scenario? And the one answer is, when when, when you say that for someone who's mourning, they've lost a loved one, they've lost a, uh, an integral part of their life, and this you know, biblical mindset views life as, as, uh, as, a, as an entire universe, someone is so important that when, when, when they're gone from your life, there's li- literally a hole in, the, in what makes up your place and, and, and your, uh, your being, and that's only the place, the omnipresent, the one who's everywhere, who can actually fill that hole, that's why we... We, we greet people with that expression. So here you think of Yaakov, who literally is running for his life and uh, from, from his, his older brother. And we know from the scriptures that his, his mother, um, Rebecca, really loved him. She, he was her favorite. Yeah. And, and when she kind of took the plot 
to to switch the, the patriarchal blessing, she said, "Let let the curses fall upon my head." And imagine that he my head, my head, another one upon her, and he never sees that her, his mother again. By the time he comes back, she's dead, mm. and he's he's running for his life. His entire world is gone. The, the empty void is right there. Thus, he meets at the place yeah, on the comb that he can uh, find that comb. I like it. I like it. Oh, you think that was awesome? Yeah. <laughs> You're not next. Sorry. <laughs> Gregory. Um, just, it was interesting. One of the things I was thinking about was as the prior portion when you kinda, he has the whole deception thing with mm. the blessings, and then here, as Taylor was saying, it seems like he's leaving a good thing to go for something maybe that's not fleeing for his life, and then even tying into what Joshua or, um, Jonathan was saying, it's cool how many times angels show up in his life, especially in this particular portion, as like a way that God not only comforts him, but it I feel like it speaks a lot to his spiritual status, even in yeah. exile, that he's seeing yeah. things that so, normal people don't see. And he's got angels at the beginning of this portion and angels at the end of this portion. Right. Amazing. And then it's yeah, less confirmation good. of his spiritual status. I got one before you. Go. Uh, another thing with the place, um, I was reading something interesting, and it was saying that the, the, the verse reason it, Jacob encountered the place, and the, the, the sages I was reading were kind of saying, well, that, that Hebrew word for encountered was meaning the, uh, instead of just, you know, he, he stopped there, it meant the less um, popular meaning of pray. So he's actually praying, and he was praying to God, the place. Mm. They actually attribute the evening prayer to Jacob. That's exactly where we get it. Exactly none. Um, tell me if y'all already covered this, but when Taylor first asked the question about he went out, it, it reminded me of something I read about in the prayer portion. It says that he went. And so why did it say that he went twice? Mm -hmm. And one of the speculations was that the first time he went to the academy of Shem and Amir mm -hmm. mm -hmm. to study. Which is what his father had done, supposedly, yeah. And then the second time in this portion where he went, he left that place yeah. to go on the journey from uh -huh. the good to the. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, I thought Joe, I, I thought Taylor was going here. You may still go there, but the Beersheba actually is interesting because the word Beersheba means. Well, uh, yeah. Seven wells well, or seven oaths. Well, yeah. Sheva and oaths are. Yeah, if you're on that oaths. side of the room, it's wells. If you're on this side, it's. So oaths. I wanted to speak before Rob up and had a chance here because he's going to talk about wells. Hit the wells. There's Sheva, seven wells, and it starts, the portion starts with seven wells, Beersheba. And wells are mentioned seven times in this portion. Oh. Wow. Very cool. That's and it's messianic. That's the whole point. Yeah, that's, that's as we learned, as we learned from you several portions ago, actually at the end of last last Torah uh, cycle, that that the, that the wells are always speaking about Messiah. Yes. We need to look for these so wells the and the stones in <laughs> the wells. <laughs> Turns out heads are that way too. Yeah. All link out. Well, hang on. Yes, ma'am. To uh, I think the Gregory's point about the angels. So yes. There's angels. There are angels mentioned a lot around. Malachim. Yes. Now, I was thinking about the blessings, and Jacob's blessings to his sons. He says, actually, he's to Ephraim and Manasseh, he says, May the angel who redeems me from all evil bless the lands. May my name be declared upon them. So, that is kind of interesting. He says, The angels are Hamalak. I wonder if that's. Mm. Uh, but that's not, not that's the double king. <laughs> I know, but the idea is but the, angels, yeah, the angels. The angels, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, good. The, um, the angel. The angel. Yeah. 
the uh, in thinking about the wells is kind of cool because um, one of the I think about it, he starts for the seven wells and the wells kind of keep following him throughout this portion. If you think about um, that reminds me of the rock that which gave water, follows, which followed follows them around, around the wilderness. Um, and we see from Paul's like drosh, is that word again? Um, on the rock as it being Messiah, it's the idea that Messiah follows them around in this wilderness experience. And I think about this passage as such a cool idea that that well concept. Again, God goes with his people into exile. Yeah. He left yeah. the place of seven wells, but he didn't leave God. Right. God followed him. And yeah. I think that even shows up in this passage because if God says he's with Jacob or he won't leave Jacob uh, three different times here in his blessing. He says, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will not forsake you. And if you think about that Judaism teaches the idea that God goes with his people into exile, yes. which I think is a very powerful reference, not only in the sense that God is with his people when they're out of the land, but also a very powerful reference that God does not put us through things that he does not endure with us. So when we, like in Hebrews, it says that you know it's not any temptation that he has not gone through too. Yes. If the idea is that like God's not going to let you go through something really hard, like he's somehow like kind of nasty or he doesn't care or calloused, but it's like he goes through it with you, so he experiences the same pain that you do. He'll only put you through something if it's good. Yeah, amen. And we see throughout the scriptures that God says he will not leave nor forsake his people. I think the last time I read it was in Joshua. I mean, if the exile happens, it's clear that he must have gone in there with them. You, then you. I was in regard to the wells. It was interesting because I was reading that the sages kind of comment that wisdom is sort of the representation in the wells because you have to dig for it. And okay. There's yeah. little things sort of at the bottom, you know. And but of course, I remembered your drash in regard to the wells representing Messiah. That both are true because one of the cool things the sages say is all of the patriarchs and the people around worked really hard to protect the well really hard to find one and of course that's sort of all of our our experience with Messiah is working really hard to preserve the his name and to dig deep in the scripture and look for him I mean, for those of you wondering what's going on over here in the corner it's your granddaughter wonders why my ZT on top my, my granddaughter has laid her eyes on a tzaddy and she cannot just, Final comment. Just, just, just in reference to what Joshua said, it was so, so perfect. Just to take that one level past, and I think it was Martin Buber. I, I can't remember if it was, but I, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, Jewish philosopher uh, who was asked the question, "Where was God in d during the Holocaust?" And his response was, "Messiah was in Buchenwald, or Messiah was in Auschwitz." He was there. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So. Sorry, we're, I'm going to move us along now. Verse 11. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we got all the way to 11 yet. I'm in uh, chapter 29, verse 1, by the way. That was good. So, let me tee up this next section here by saying this. This is a personal revelation. You had a question from the end of 28? Me too. Pray continue. And you may have covered this. Um, from Anything from 27? Uh, well, I just, it was more <laughs> kind of a general thing about, if, is it really okay to make conditional statements? To oh, like yeah, so we're talking about this. So I think there's a really good response to that um, that deals more with the Hebrew. 
Anybody? Anybody? In verse, uh, are we talking about verse 20? 20. Yes. Um, yes, ma'am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the that the em is translated if, but em also can be when. When. Exactly. Oh, when. So, so if you reread it with when instead of if, and you don't translate it into English um, with perhaps a an axe to grind, a Western bias, a Western bias <laughs> it, it does come out more consistent with what I think we would expect. Like faith. Precisely. Yeah. Okay. A, a statement of faith rather than a statement of, I dare you, God. I dare you to bless me, and, and then I'll follow you or something. I wouldn't say dare. What would you say? Well, or like, like demanding. Like, if God will exactly. give me this much money. And it, and it does not need to be that way. It could be when. Well, chutzpah, chutzpah and faith kind of are I, was yeah. I, I think actually you have a lot of examples of people doing that where they're like, they 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 make a promise, and in fact, um, Eliezer. I mean, you have, yeah, you get a whole bunch of people who make kind of like if God. Well, sometimes it doesn't work so well, like Jephthah. Um, yeah, he makes a vow, he makes your regrets later. Yeah. But the idea that they make a vow before they do something is actually not um, discouraged in Judaism. Um, and I think part of the idea is not so much to say that God won't do something good, but it's almost like demonstrating my faith. It's like I'm going to act when you act. Almost kind of—it's not a dare necessarily, but it's like it's like going in with someone. It's kind of like, hey man, if you do this, I'll do it too. Like it'll be really cool. We'll play off each other. Almost that concept. And but so the understanding like, is that you're going in with God, right? And right. so basically, that, you've got forward, yeah, we're you're, on the same essentially you're saying, I've got skin in the game, God. Yeah. You help me, and I will do this. Yeah, and of course we know God's got skin in all the games. <laughs> I was looking it up. Um, I can't find the exact one, but in the in the bedtime prayers, a lot of David's psalms are in past tense. Like mm -hmm. I, you have answered me as mm -hmm. I pray, yes. and it's just out of the confidence when he's praying, he already knows God will awaken him mm -hmm. and will mm -hmm. do that. Okay, cool. cool. Very. I wondered if it tied in with the New Testament or the Apostle Scripture portion Matthew, where he says, "Don't test the Lord." I wondered about the word test, for example, and how that, you know, because it could be sort of connected. Yeah. Um, I don't see a negative play here at all um, where it, it, it is in, in, uh, in the Matthew scripture. Um, the Matthew one is the one the first Zion, the first which is Zion uses. Yeah. Um, first uh, Flame Foundation uses John one because it mentions a lot of it. But, uh, okay. <laughs> could be. Yeah. Although, could be. I think the testing, though, in that case, is much more the sense that you're trying to um, challenge God in a sense. It's like because that that comes in the context of we like, throw myself off the top of the temple and yeah. God will catch me. It's, it's not a like you said. We're going in together. Let's yeah. Let's do this. Like this case, yeah. Jacob's saying, if you do what you said you'll do, which you will do, then I will act and do I'm this. I'm obligated in this way. As opposed to I'm going to do my own thing, God, and I expect you to help me because you really like me. Yeah. Which, which we know is not the case. Yeah. All right, so I want us to move forward. I want us to move forward. I want us to move forward. So I'm going to share personally my thoughts on the patriarchs. Your thoughts may differ. When you think of Abraham, what do you think of? What kind of man? What kind of God? Old. What's that? Hospitable. 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 Old. I think fatherly. Old. What's that? Fatherly. Fatherly. I like that. Compassionate. Compassionate. Faithful. Faithful. I like that. Peter O'Toole. Yes. Peter O'Toole. Right? Eager. Eager. 
I like that. I think I think of a guy who is older should have had kids already and yet is still willing to go into battle and to fight. I think of a man that I can respect. A man I can look up to. A man who runs his household and has over 300 men who will step up and stand with him. That's what I think of when I think of Abraham. What do you think of when you think of Isaac? Oh, no, tall. I do think tall, really tall. Dread. I think Dread. broad shoulders. I think humble. dread, humble, submissive. Submissive. submissive, right? Great relationship with his dad, right? right? I think of a man who is so amazingly physically powerful that you don't even notice because he's so charismatically powerful. Do you know what I'm saying? Someone who, he walks into the room and everyone just wants to hear what he has to say. Not because he's proud and ostentatious, but because you can tell, this guy's been with God and I just want to spend some time with him. I think of the way Saul is originally portrayed as being head and shoulders above everybody else and somebody to look up to, a born leader. I think of a man whose heart is on fire for God. Do you think that? Amazingly powerful man whose dread is known simply because he doesn't take any crap from anyone. And yet he's amazingly honoring both to his father and to his God. I have, I have a confession. Forgive me, Father. Um, I have a confession that my my thoughts of Jacob have always been a little mealy mouth. I've always thought of Jacob as a weenie. Well, there it is. I've always thought of Jacob as a, a conniving little brat, basically. And I've always thought of him as pretty skinny, a scrawny fella. He wasn't, he's in, the, he's in the kitchen mixing flour. But his brother is out killing animals and running with the gazelle and finally grabs the gazelle, you know? That's what I'm thinking. But now, I'm, I'm here to share that I don't, I don't think that was right. I am now convinced that Jacob was more like his own father Than not. After all, if you think that Esau was strong, you ought to meet his twin brother. Oh, that's right. He's got a twin brother. I believe that this next passage will demonstrate that my understanding, evidently from the church, of Jacob being sort of a conniving, weaselly guy, always had black rings under his eyes and rarely combed his hair, was not true. But that rather he was like his father, tall, strong, and just chose...
to be in the kitchen rather than out. And that when he went out, he knew more about husbandry and raising animals than even his brother did. And when we see that you've got shepherds, who I always think of as being at least able to stay up all night, waiting, because we got to move the rock together, and the girl shows up, and he moves the rock himself. That was adrenaline. Yeah, that was strictly yeah, adrenaline. Hey, that may was have been. Yeah, may have been. But the scripture doesn't say. You guys are reading The fact is, the scripture doesn't say anything other than he saw the girl. She's got to water those sheep. And he moved that stone out of the way. So I just want you to know that here, 5774, Joseph has a completely different view of Jacob. And oh, by the way, I know that you've heard Rick say this at least four times this calendar year. Yes, I have been counting. Jacob does not mean deceiver. It means one who follows, or one who's on the hill. It does not mean deceiver. And we get deceiver in this portion, and Jacob's not the deceiver. Who is? Laban. Yes, sir. And, and actually, you correctly identified where your preconceived idea of Jacob came from, because Jacob is equated with Judas. He's the deceiver. He's the wrong one. And when we do that, we are actually we're we're siding with with God's enemies, Esau. And and, and, and you're and you're by definition are against Israel. That's exactly that's enemy. exactly right. So yeah. Jacob, and as you pointed out. The word for deceiver is not Yaakov. It shares the same letters. It is not the same root. Correct. So when, when Esau calls him, is he not a deceiver? He's not saying his name means deceiver, which your King James Bible may say. Exactly right. It doesn't mean that, and the Hebrew clearly shows that it's not the same root. It's just the same. It has some of the same letters. And that's what he's playing. It's a play on it's words. Similar, similar. His name doesn't mean that. His name actually is being better reflected now. He's on the heel. He's chasing after God. Exactly. I, I think that that, I that idea of Jacob, that he's the heel grabber, he's the one who wrestles with the angel. That's next next week. But he's the in this passage, you get this too. I love this passage because he shows up and he's looking at these like, you know, probably fairly strong shepherds. And he's like, you guys are a bunch of wimps. Why are you doing just sitting here? And so... And, and, he, tries, and he tries to correct them first. Guys, what are you doing bringing them in here now? No, 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 no. You leave them out there. Go, go ahead and water them, send them back out. And they're like, well, we're not doing nothing yeah, until the rest of the people yeah, get yeah, here. we got to get this done. And you know what, Jacob, is so cool because then you see him push the well open and you think to yourself, well, that's, you know, that's impressive. But also, he's such a servant-hearted man this passage parallels so much the story when Eliezer goes to get Rivka. But and, and, and Jacob plays both characters. He plays Eliezer looking for the woman. He also plays Rivka's like servant heart, watering the flocks yeah. like Rivka yeah. does. Yeah. But then later when and Laban he plays Isaac. Oh yeah. Waiting for the girl. And then Laban Laban shows up and this is a really cool verse after this section. Laban looks at him and goes, um, should you work for me for nothing? What's really powerful about that is that means that without anyone asking Jacob was working. Amen. Jacob was not the type of man who could sit in his hands and waste time. 
he didn't make demands either. He doesn't go to Laban and say, hey, you know, I see you need some help, so if you'd be willing to give me this, that, and the other, I'd be glad to help around the house. No, he's the guy out in the field because he just does that. He's industrious. And, he, and he's, he's been efficient. there. He's been there for a month or more, right? Right. He's been there for a month working for nothing. Yeah. And Laban, even Laban, who's Laban likes to take something for nothing, he feels guilty. He's like, okay, I know we're related, but you can't keep doing that. Making me look bad. I'm not giving you anything. Right. Right. So <laughs> it's like that attitude of industriousness, hard work, and that passion, that, that struggle type person. Holding on. That is... Very much a spirit of Israel today. I'm Jews are known people. for that for their, all their lives. They work hard even when they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, so, hang on one second. So, two comments. One, just picking up on the concept of the heel grabber, right? So, what what you you have a picture in in the portion you know or two before when Rebecca gives birth to Jacob and Esau, right? So. Esau is a picture of the kingdom of this world, you know, the kingdom of darkness, as it were, etc. And Yaakov is a picture of the world to come and the kingdom of heaven and that sort of thing. You have these kind of co- these kind of two kind of cosmic ideas competing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what you have is Rebecca goes into labor and she's birthing these two kingdoms, right. as nations, it were, yeah. these two nations, right? And um, she goes into labor pains, and the first kingdom that come that comes forth is is uh, Edom, Esau, the, the kingdom of this world. But on the heels of that kingdom comes the kingdom of Messiah. Mm-hmm. Or said another way, on the footsteps of the the. The climax of the kingdom of darkness, yes. the Messiah's Messiah. kingdom will come. I like it. And that is where we get the concept of the birth pains of the Messiah, Messiah is in that is in that whole yeah. concept. I, I would so. I would also throw in that it's obvious, right? That this arm right. we, we've got a, just a picture. Yeah. And yep. then the second second comment is on of course, on the stone in the well, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody sit down. So, so, again, keeping with the premise that the stone and the well are these allusions to the Messiah, so it's interesting that, that you know, Yaakov is able to provide the access to, to the water. source of living water, right? Um and, and there's an, in, in, it's in connection with with this woman, with you know, with um, Rachel who comes on the scene, and the Ramez, and I think I think we somebody may Anifis Taylor somebody even mentioned this at our Shabbat table last night. The Ramez to me is if you if you go to the Apostolic um, Scriptures, and uh, Messiah has been uh, crucified and laid to rest in a tomb, and a stone has sealed the tomb, right? And then after the, after the Sabbath, we have a couple of women who are headed to the tomb with spices and whatnot, presumably to finish the proper preparation of his body, because right. they weren't able to do that right. under the circumstances. And the question is, well, what were they going to do when they get there? Are they going to be able to move this stone by themselves, or were they going to just kind of 
ask the Roman centurions to do it for them? You know, What's this seal? What were they here? actually yeah. planning to do? Did they really think in the natural that they would have access to the to the tomb or access to the Messiah? Yeah. But yet when they get there, <coughs> Messiah himself mm. has rolled has removed the stone. Mm-hmm. Right? So you have a picture here of Again, with Jacob being a Messiah-type figure, right, or representing the kingdom of Messiah, yeah. he move, removes the stone to provide access, access. to I like to the well. It's kind of long. It's, it's kind of long, but it is a drush. It's good. You like drushes? Okay. So, but you got to speak up so everybody can hear. Okay. So we have in the in the sheet with the curse of man of woman and of the serpent, God explicitly gives gives all the curses of them. So man, they have to toil that's by the sweat of their brow and by the pain of childbirth. That's their 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 uh, ramifications for sin. And then the serpent, for deceiving, says that he shall crawl uh, on his belly and the dust of the earth shall be his food. Something like that. Yeah. And so, but and that doesn't make any sense because the, the, the humans basically, man, we have to now work and toil. We have we have pain, we have blood, sweat, and tears we have to invest. The serpent, the dust of the earth is his food. That's a pretty cool gig. You don't have to, you don't have to work. Like, wherever you go, there's dust. You can just slither around and you, and you can eat. You're, you're good to go. But um, you can't dance. But you can't, you can't dance. dance. And, and then uh, and the, the understanding of that is that, well, of course, what takes more faith? Does it take more faith to actually toil and to have a relationship with God and only that that brings food as opposed to having everything you ever received for you? Obviously, it's the, the, the blessing is in the curse. It's, yeah. But... Um, but here, uh, when, when Jacob's on the mountain, uh, after, after the vision, God says that he will make his descendants like the dust of the earth. So here you have the descendants of the promise are to be the food for the serpent. Uh, and to always be, uh, always to be chased, always to be devoured by the, this world. And, and but what does God say? But he will bite your heel, Akev, which I was we get the word Yaakov, though, but you will crush his head. So that even though you will always be devoured in this world, you will have the blood, sweat, and tears, which is a, which is a blessing in and of itself. Yeah. The enemy will always have it made. Uh, they will always be biting your heel. Um, but your but Yaakov is exactly that one who who in Messiah is the fulfillment who uh, takes t- takes the 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 advantages that God gave t- to the world to the serpent to Esau and eventually uh, finishes all and, and crushes the head and says so, it is finished. It's a good sign you got there. Toby. I was you're not being put up for adoption. I was I was thinking that that a lot of people talk about, you know, well you can't find everything in the Bible or, or there's not like practical stuff, it's just like principles and stuff. But in this portion, I think we were, we're ragging the shepherds earlier, but I'm gonna kinda of build them up right here. They're one of Mr. Bartos and I's favorite authors, a guy named Tim Ferriss, and he talks about this technique called batching. So essentially, if you make one shirt, it's the same amount of time to make one shirt as it takes to make 100 shirts. You might as well just make 100, and wait till you have 100 to sell 100, instead of just making one at a time. It saves time. So see, shepherds, they're not dumb, they're just batching. They're using like a common business technique, right? Mm. So they're waiting for all the sheep to come together. So you just have to roll the rock away once yeah. instead of do it every yeah. single yeah, time. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm so with I see that. Yeah, I'm not that, buying it, but I'm with you. Yeah, so I see, I see in this portion that you can find everything else in the Bible. Okay. But it also good, teaches, good. and Jacob teaches us how to treat special customers. 
Because he goes out. Uh, yeah, okay. Open, open the well for you. That's yeah. exactly right. I like it. Special customer. <laughs> Always marry the special customer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, why was he so nervous? I got nervous. I'm just trying to get it together. We're, so, Jacob is called in some places or in some circles a deceiver because of the trick of getting the blessing. They that have, one of the reasons they that's, have like that's, 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 yes. Yeah. But that's okay, not but what the Bible ever calls him. Okay, but he wasn't the firstborn, right? So in which kind of the blessing usually goes to him? Um, the blessing so never goes to the firstborn, the, just so you know. Okay. It's Say supposed again, to sorry, go. Right, the blessing it's supposed, supposed to, to go to the firstborn. Yeah, never it goes. never goes to the firstborn. <laughs> never. Oh. Who was the firstborn of Abraham? Ishmael. Ishmael. Right. Oh, wait, it went to Isaac. But legally. Yes, yes. It's supposed to go to the firstborn. Even though Hagar like always goes. Okay, okay but, yes. but so Rick maybe um, can maybe see what I'm trying to say here, Rick. So because Actually, of the first promise of all, before you that, get to God, the that said, was... God said to, to Jacob's mom, Rebecca, I guess, when he said, but the younger or the older, that is the first thing. That's the, the thing. That's right. God. So and that's so before that's Jacob does anything. It's not a deception. Well, so not only that, when family. Jacob, when, when Esau comes in and he's hungry, yeah. let's just say that the birthright is, a, is, is, is something that can be sold. Yeah. Say that it can be sold. Did he deceive him to get it? No. No. no, not at all. In fact, what you read is that Jacob came by the birthright not only in a honest way, but a completely legal way. He sold it, and it tells us why. Because Esau despised it. Right. And so, so that the, the notion that, that Jacob somehow gets the inheritance illegally, what you see in the deception later on is simply getting what he has been promised. He's already been promised the birthright, but he has his father's not giving it to him, and so his mother then comes up with the plot. Because so God told the mother something That's earlier. That's right. Exactly him. right. So the so the, so the plot is hatched by his mother on the basis of what God told. Him. You got it. It's there's no deception involved here other than the unfortunate deception of Isaac, because Isaac wasn't doing what Isaac was supposed to do. The birthright had been purchased legally. Amen. Um, just to add some to just, this yeah. to this concept, uh, you have to understand what the birthright represents. The birthright represents um, access to the inheritance, mm -hmm. and not just physical inheritance like money and possessions and that sort of thing, but more importantly, the spiritual inheritance, which in this case consists includes a place in the world to come resurrection from the dead okay those are the that's the spiritual covenantal promises that were given to Abraham that are past and okay. that Messiah would come through you sure absolutely so that's what the birthright represents naturally it it would in under normal circumstances it would have gone to Esau as the firstborn we know because God spoke to Rebecca when they were still in utero that that was never going to be the case. 
But because, again, because Esau represents this, the, the, the present world, right? This world, the kingdom of darkness, etc., all those kind of euphemisms. Because that's what he represents, there's a, there's a drosh that says, because if you, if you recall in that portion before he, he sells his birthright to Jacob, we ended the previous portion with who dying? Isaac. No. Sarah. Abraham. Abraham. Oh, Abraham. Abraham dies. Okay. Now, Abraham is the patriarch of the family who is the one who taught what these in, what the promised inheritance was. Okay. He's the one that taught these precepts of a, of a of the world to come, of resurrection from the dead, etc. When Abraham dies, Esau says, huh, see, even, even our father Abraham is dead now. None of that stuff right. is true. So if, if there's no place, in the, if there is no world to come, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then what is there? Eat, drink, right. and be merry. So what does Esau do? He goes out to the field, and he does, according to tradition, he does all manner of evil. He murders somebody, he rapes a girl, he steals some things, and when he comes back from the field, being kind of famished from all his illicit activities, he, he sees, he sees uh, Jacob his there, twin. who is cooking a pot of red lentils, and one of the understandings is that it happens to be the yard site of Abraham, because lentils is the traditional dish that you prepare for the yard site, because lentils are round, representing the cycle of life. And it's a traditional dish. Okay? So he's so so Jacob is is mourning or remembering Abraham and all that Abraham represents. Esau gave up on that. It's like Abraham's dead and all of his promises are dead with him. So I'm gonna live my life however I want. What good is this birthright to me? All there is is eat, drink, and right. be married. So give me the food, and you take the dumb birthright. And that is the transaction that transpired. But I, I think it's even worse than that, because going back to last week's portion, just quickly, this will help clarify, where it, where it says that, uh, that Yitzhak loved Esau because the trappings were in his mouth, or the, sometimes it's translated as the game in, in Hebrew. Ki yazid bafiv. Yazid trappings is kind of what it says. Uh, and it can be translated this way, because the trappings were in his mouth, that is like the game was in Yitzhak's, or that in Esau's mouth were trappings. And that this is why Yitzhak, this is one of this, this is a, a Talmudic explanation of why Yitzhak, a righteous man, loved Esau. Because Esau was a hypocrite, was a liar. He would come into his, his father's tent, and, and he right would pretend things. to be Say a righteous. Right things. That's right. And in Talmud actually says, he would ask his father, how do I tie, believe it or not, mint dill and cumin. Those, those were the things he would ask his, in his, and so Yitzhak would say, ah, oh, he's so righteous, he's asking, how, how do I go above and beyond the call? That's right. And he, he never saw the real side of, of, what, of what his son was doing. So who was the real deceiver? Esau. The real deceiver the trappings were in his mouth. He was the real deceiver. And actually, the, the story, just so that you know, the Catholic Bible has the story of Esau and why he's coming in hungry. Actually, it's in the Apocrypha. But mm. that's... Only what we don't want to read. <laughs> I mean, that's what we're taught, right? Joshua, then Gregory. And then I'll go back to you if you got another. We're, we're skipping ahead, I think, a little bit here. Because we're in this. I didn't want to skip ahead. It's all Marianne's fault. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. Um, no, go ahead. Chapter 30. 
once you get into these kids, these kids start popping out. Okay, okay. So we're gonna we gotta have to go out. back if you want to. Do you want to hold in the kids? Well, I just I I wanted to finish before five o'clock tonight, so I thought we would move ahead. Unless <laughs> someone wants to go. Hang on one second. Do a change. Well, I was just to uh, what Jonathan said. Good job, Challenge. Yeah, yeah. Not what he just said, which was brilliant, but the, the other brilliant thing before that. That was it. Was really quite quite cool, but it, it reminded me of Romans 11 when Paul talks because you think about that that like you know the serpent's always biting at the heel and, yeah. and Israel's always just getting hit and hit and yeah. hit and you think like. They're ever going to get saved? They need a break. You know? Yeah, but Paul just says it so well by quoting from Isaiah, and it's in um, Romans 11 here, and it says, And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Amen. 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 Exactly right. And it, of course, who should have inherited this world as its father? Adam. But it wasn't the first Adam. It was the second or last Adam who actually is the king of this world, which is Yeshua, the Messiah. Anything else? Are you going to kids? I'm in chapter 30. Let's talk kids. Because I would like to cover a couple things before we get to the end of the day. second here now. It's fast approaching. We've covered so many dovetails. Yeah. There's a lot of dovetails there. Hang on now. Hang on. What's the wrong word? Dovetailing. Because really that's a much more appropriate word for like the Noah portion. Really what we should be doing is treating the word Jacob as a verb. I'm just going to Jacob on to that. That's right. Grab hold and do not let go. I'm going to follow on the heels. Follow on the heels of that. Very nice. But in chapter 30, I have all day. We've got a really. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Hang on. Hang on a second. So. Before we get to 30. In 2919, Lavan said, It is better that I give her to you than I give her to another man. Remain with me. So Yaakov worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him a few days because of his love for her. Yaakov said to Lavan, Deliver my wife, for my term is fulfilled, and I will consort with her. So I just wanted to get a, a just a quick consensus. How are we thinking about Levon throwing in the other girl? Only dads with daughters can speak. You don't have any daughters. I mean, you got more than one daughter. You got you got one. You're out of luck too. So you and I are the only ones that can appreciate this guy. And so, I can appreciate it because I'm an American. Okay. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Default answer to everything. <laughs> I can appreciate it because I'm an American today and I was told one thing and now something else is bad. I hate it when that happens. So that so wait, <laughs> wait a minute. You can keep your but the point is, I mean, this is this kind of deception. We may not, we recognize it as wrong and it's bad. It makes us feel icky. This kind of deception is the height of evil. And I would yes, it is. 
Jacob onto that. It's the norm. It is. In the world today, this is the norm. Oh, I know I, know I told you that, but... You fill in the blank with whatever, but that's the norm. And it is the height of evil, that you would say one thing and do another. That means that your yes is not yes. Your no is not no. That should make you think of something. Laban planned all along to do this. From the very beginning, he planned to do this, and he never said it. The sages say that Laban is the, I mean, we see Esav is the representation of this world. They say Laban is the representation of evil in this world. Amen. He's a, a type of an anti-Messiah. He is, absolutely. Gregor. It was, it was just cool as I was reading an explanation from the sages about, because it seems ridiculous that Jacob wouldn't have realized it. Oh, we're doing like that night thing now? Okay, morning. good, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. So, um, but it was, it was just in, intriguing because back to what I was saying before about the angels and how it seemed like Jacob was just on this really high spiritual plane. There's so many things throughout this portion that the sages suggest were prophetic. Like Jacob kind of saw ahead in these situations and acted upon that as opposed to what was going on at the time. And this is one of them. He, they, that they suggest that Jacob saw ahead that Leah would actually be his primary wife, the one to be buried with him, the one to represent more of like the world to come. In the a one sense. who gave him more sons. The one who gave him the most sons, exactly. And so because of that, he kind of was, was okay with it because mm. Mm. he knew that that was going to be all right. How many of you have ever tried to live without electricity for any length of time? I've tried. For seven years without electricity, that's no big deal. When it gets dark, you pretty much got to stop working because you can't see. I had a couple of you know a couple of years there where I was trying to use candles and lamps as much as I could, and you know we got the oil lamp over there, and you know I would get up in the middle of the night to check and make sure the doors were locked, and I'd be out there with a candle, you know, or an oil lamp and that kind of thing. I I don't know. I I don't know. I know they had lamps, but I don't I don't know. Could he? Could he see? They could have had electricity. If he couldn't, he could have had like a reception, and they just no. They were very. That's what I'm thinking. He's like me, man, and just there is no way he did not know it was another one. Yes, no way. Because even the smell, even everything. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Now, come on, come on. Let me ask you this. If you just worked seven years for a scoundrel and you jump into the sack and realize you've been hoodwinked, would you go, what is going on? And go find Levon? Or would you just... Would you just talk to the woman, realize that there was a thing going on, and deal with it? Yeah, but she was veiled. Veiled. Uh, Tense, that's veiled. Why <laughs> <laughs> All I'm saying is, yeah. to Gregory's point, to Juliana's point, if he knew, whether he knew ahead of time or knew at that moment, should it not lift up in your eyes Jacob's response in that he chose to stay with her that night, make her his wife, and then deal with 
the scoundrel in the morning rather than make her feel worse than she probably already did. I, like I said, I have a new perspective on Jacob this year. And I want to look at him as being a type of Messiah, not a squirrely guy. You first, then I agree, Laban was deceitful here, and I have something to say about him later. <laughs> I've got a couple of things on his book, too. <laughs> Did Rachel know? Rachel knew. According to the of believe, Rachel did not. So, she and she's actually swaying apart. The sages say that <laughs> Rachel and Jacob had signals between one another. <laughs> she taught him the signals. And she taught, she taught Leah the signals. Yeah. So, so that thinking so that Laban might try to trick us. Precisely. But she <laughs> so my goes thumb and tells Leah because she's compassionate for Leah, the yeah. older sister, yeah. that she would be shamed to having no husband forever if yeah. she were to get married first. Yeah. So she <laughs> teaches Leah the signals, right. maybe Jacob knew, and played along with it. And that's why the sages say, so Jacob loved Rachel because she had compassion on her sister, which he saw as an honorable thing. Very cool. Very cool. I'm still curious about who's under the chuppah. Was it Rachel, and then later the switch was made? No. Or was it Leah, and she had on one of those, you know, Mission Impossible, impossible <laughs> masks? Yeah. Like, oh my God! Yeah. Laban is a very interesting name for this guy. His name is color. It means white. White. He's a white guy. Um, what's interesting about the white guy is the fact that if you go, if you deal with more ancient Hebrew ways of looking at the names for some things, it's not always the same word we use today in Hebrew. And one of the examples of this is the moon. And if you've ever prayed the prayer Kiddush Lavana, which is the Kiddush for the sanctification of the moon. Which we do tonight, like, by the way. Yeah. That's right. Because you see the moon, because we had Rosh Kodesh, the new month came around, the head of the month, the first of the month. Right there's no moon then, because there's that's the whole point, that the month is by the moon. Now we've got to a point we can actually see the moon, so we're going to bless God for having presented the moon. So that's Kiddush Lavana. Laban's name is linked to the moon, because it's like another word for the moon. The moon, by the way, is white, so it looks like Laban. Um, the thing about Laban is interesting is the fact that, like the moon, he doesn't have his own light. See, the moon reflects the sun and looks like it is this glorious celestial body shining forth light. Laban is also deceitful like this. He looks like he's a pretty good guy. I'm going to make you a deal. We're going to do this. Let's shake on it. This is the way it's going to be, like an angel of light. But then Laban's reality is he's a stone-cold, dark nothing who only pretends to have light. And in that respect, he is so much like the, um, uh, like this world, and ultimately like Hasatan. And there's a reason, I don't know if Taylor's going into it, but are you going to talk about the uh, Aramean trying to destroy my father? No. In the Haggadah, at the end, well, this is jumping way ahead, we don't have to go the wrong way. But, but towards the end of this portion, we see um, that when they're making their covenant, Laban says... I entreat you to make an oath by the God of Abraham and by the God of Nahor and the God of his father. And there's a, there's a, there's a saying in the Haggadah. They, they retranslate a portion in Deuteronomy that says that it, I, my father was a wandering Aramean and he went to Egypt. And they tweak it slightly to re, like uh, it's another way of looking at the Hebrew to say that an Aramean tried to destroy my father. And they say the Aramean who tried to destroy my father was Laban. They say Laban was worse than Pharaoh. 
because Pharaoh tried to destroy the people of Israel physically. He tried to kill all of the children of Israel physically. But Laban tried to, to attack the very foundation of the people of Israel by wiping out their faith because he tried to trick Jacob into making an oath on another false god. But Jacob was smart. Jacob responds by not only making an oath only on the right god, he takes it a step further and says, the god, the dread of my father Isaac. So instead of it just being the god of Abraham, which is the only one god, it's the god of Abraham, but it's the god of his sons, the god of Abraham and Isaac. So, but that whole point goes again back to Laban. Laban is like the ultimate nasty snake because he's not, he is trying to destroy Israel covertly the whole way through. It is the spirit of Amalek that doesn't attack the front, he attacks the rear. Attacks the rear. Amen. Very good. We're moving on. Yes, ma'am. Is it possible that Leah was in on the scam? On the scam, or, you know, on the scam to switch wives, I don't think it's possible she that she couldn't. She, she went because she was. <laughs> yeah. 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 Hey, to put the veil on me. Wait, wait, what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? What are you doing? I don't even know you. Leah, I want to say something in defense of Leah, our mother. Leah is given the is given a really bad rap because of some of the things that are said here that it seems to say about her. And one of them is that she has weak eyes, or she has gentle tender. eyes, tender eyes, or whatever else. The sages recognize that as being someone who is like extremely compassionate. She wept for people, and so and 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 as our mother, we should recognize that this is uh, this these these hardships we have in this world, uh, and, and and although we recognize that Rachel. And, and Rachel's children, and she weeps for her children, is something that we recognize as uh, the Jewish people, wherever they are, uh, recognize that Rachel's weeping for her children. Leah's weeping for her children as well. In this world, this is Leah's weeping because of, this, because of the sorrow and the tribulation and the things that go on in this world Amen. are being represented in, in Leah, our mother, and she is an extremely compassionate. I mean, uh, if you'll turn, please, to 2917. 2917. Leah's eyes were tender, while Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. So what is the difference between beautiful of form and yeah. beautiful of appearance? Well, I guess the, my point is that these are attributes of Rachel that you can discern, that you can see, right? Physical. So, um, I can't do it anymore, but if you were to look at me, would you know that my eyes were weak? Would you know that I was 2,100, 2,300? No. There's no way you could tell what my eyesight is. It's 2010, 2015 right now, because I've had them cut. But you would never know prior to that that I didn't have strong eyes. You would never know that my eyes were weak. But if every time you saw me, or nearly every time you saw me, my eyes were all welled up, and I was having trouble talking to you because I was, I had just been praying about somebody, or I was just concerned, or I just heard that someone was hurt, or that a baby was having trouble, and I had tender eyes. Isn't it, doesn't it give you a different perspective? I mean, it's, it's not that you can see. They don't have glasses like that. You know, you, you can't tell. Oh, the guy's blind. No. 
She had tender eyes, a more physical attribute. Okay. Uh, lest we, uh, as Joshua has pointed out, not finish at all, we've got a bunch of kids coming. And... Uh, in rapid succession. <laughs> if, this, if, the, if the chronology is as it reads, yeah. we are cranking the babies out almost it, as fast as possible. It's astonishing. And I, I think, you know, to my previous point about Jacob, that this year I see Jacob as being a different man than I have been raised to believe. I'm thinking the same thing about Leah. Because the very first, second, third, and fourth of the of the tribes of Israel are coming from Leah. Right? So we've got Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Right? All four are born? Or is it just the three? Four. I thought it was four, right? So the first four are born to Leah. King and priests. Exactly. I mean, you got all the players right there. I mean, it's amazing. Messiah's going to come through that. The priests are there. Everything, everything's, you got it all. In fact... If you ask your concert B-flat Christian to name the 12 tribes, the only ones they normally get, in my experience, are Leah's first four children. That's it. These are top shelf. Gregory. I thought it was kind of interesting this year. I had never thought about how fast it happened once Leah and Jacob were married. But all of the other matriarchs were barren for a while, except Leah. And the sages explained that it's because of the name of God used in, in both cases. It's um, Hashem, and the, that name signifies more of like mercy. And so it was about, like, it, God didn't necessarily do that to Leah because he took pity on her. He, he was being merciful to her, as opposed to with the other women, he desired their prayers. Um, in order for them to yeah. care. And she's the only one that's not specifically spoken of and described as being so distractingly attractive that people would kill for her. Right? Right. But to Rick's point, amazingly compassion. So good. And we see the I, the other thing was we see her compassion again. We were talking about that this morning, about how you like she she bears a daughter kind of randomly like yeah. at the end there yeah and um, it was so it was I never thought about this before but this is kind of cool that the sages kind of said it was because Leah understood that there were going to be twelve sons she already had six and the maid servants both had two which left two left and Rachel had one and so she didn't want Rachel to be lower than the maid servants and so she prayed that God would give her a daughter instead of a son so that Rachel could also be in the game, so to speak. Here's so, a compassionate yeah, that's mother cool. of the tribe. Can't hear you, sweetie. Okay. Wait, I'll stand over here. So I noticed that Leah, Leah names all of the kids, her kids, except Levi. It says he called his name Levi. Right. I just mm -hmm. wondered if there's any significance. Yeah. You Capital H. Right. Yeah. Did you guys notice that? Yeah. Ruvain means something. Shimon, right. Shimon means something. Got her. Uh, Yehuda means something, right? It's not Turkey. We went through that two weeks ago. Right? But Levi means of Levi. Right? So the seven children of Leah of uh, Seven, of course. There's love, a, there's love that a, number, buddy. Right? So seven is always a hint 
to redemption, right? So there's something about the seven children of Leah that are that is significant. And uh, of course, we all know that names are prophetic and matter and all of that. So when you actually go through the seven children, um, it's really it's 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 pretty interesting. So you know, first uh, son is the first child is a son. Reuben, behold, Reuben, Ben, son, behold, a son. Uh, the second child is conceived, also a boy, and she says, Ah, God has heard Shema, has heard Shomea, has heard my prayer. So she names him Shimon, right, from that same root. Uh, she conceives again, another boy. And she says, surely my husband, because she knows that she's not loved as much as Rachel, surely my husband will be joined to me. Um, the idea there, at least one of the explanations, is that you know, if a, if a woman has one child, right, she can carry the one child on one hip. If she has two children, she can carry two children, one on each hip. Once you get past two, you need the guy. Dad's got to get involved, <laughs> yeah. right? So her, her, her thought was, oh, now I have three sons. He's got to join himself to me because I, he's going to have to help, right? Um, but So levi, which means to draw near or to join. Um, and then she conceives the fourth time, and she, um, she praises God, and so the name is Yehudah, um, praise right. Her her womb is closed, and we have the interluding you know situation with the two um, the two maid servants, uh, Bilhan and and Zilha. and then it comes back to Leah. She conceives the fifth time, and uh, this was after the little exchange with the Dudain, the Mandrakes, right? And so she names the fifth son Issachar from the root Sahar, which means wages or or reward, recompense, if you will. She conceives the sixth time, and she said, "Surely my husband will dwell with me, from the um, from the root Zelu. Uh, so Zebulun is the name of the child. Um, and then she, it, and then it ends with a girl, and her name is Dina. Okay, which is a feminine form of Don, which is judgment. Okay." Um, so when you put the name, the seven names together, um, just a coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually, really paints a picture of the of the plan of redemption through the Messiah, because when you put the names together, it, it says something like, "Behold, a son." If you hear, and of course we know Shema means not just hear but obey. Okay. If you hear and obey Him. You can draw close, draw near to him in praise, and he will reward you, right? He will bring, he will recompense you, and he will dwell with you. And interestingly, with Dina, um, the idea of judgment, and it's feminine, right? So what is the, what is the promise of what is the promise of those who, of of those of us who? The, the righteous, the that they will, the wrath of God is they no will rise. judge uh, yeah. with Messiah, right? Yeah. They will rule and reign. His bride, 
feminine, right? His yeah. bride will rule and reign with him. Right, so the, the all seven names paint a picture of the gospel. Wow. Um, and so that's... Stay tuned because next week he's going to go. <laughs> it's like the names of the descendants. Of the descendants the, of Noah. Of of right before Noah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Same deal. Good, good, good. All right. Are you going to leave the names? This is not long, it's just go. real short. Uh, just talk about Joseph because Joseph is a picture of Messiah. I love talking about yeah. Joseph. Joseph's a great picture of Messiah. And, and I just saw this, this this year and it's kind of cool because uh, there's so many plays on names in this in this portion in, in all of the children's names. I'm real familiar with her, Joseph. Uh, <laughs> so he's named Yosef, and which which means to add. To add or not. That's uh, 3025. 3024, 3025. It is Torah, we read about Yosef and go, wow, this is just such a piece of Messiah. He said, because he's Messiah concealed. And actually, that's what she says. She says, see, God has concealed, and the letters of spelling concealed are, are the same as, it's not the same root, but the same as Yosef. It's, it's uh, um, uh, she has Asaf. So God has concealed Asaf, my disgrace, so she named him Yosef. May God Yosef, without the, without the Bob in there, or with the Bob, no, without the Bob in there. So she spells it differently, right? So it's not, it doesn't mean the same thing, but right. it, it means to add, but it also means to conceal. Yeah. So he is, he is concealed from his people. One. He's the concealed one, but he will be added to them. Praise God. Oh. Mm. On the 30 seconds, that's... Why in verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. Yeah. So Joseph being a picture of Messiah, Esau being a picture of the evil, he's ready to go back and face Esau now. Hmm. Wow. I got Messiah. That's, cool. That's right. He's got the descendant. <laughs> I, I think it was on uh, when we were studying Ruth at your house that you went through. Oh, yeah. In the lineage of Messiah, you have so many odd marriages or weird occurrences that take place and of course this is another one with the switcheroo and Leah and, and Rachel and it's just so cool that of course Yehuda is involved here and, and comes from that, that lineage so just another marriage that wasn't supposed to happen but that of course God's ultimate plan it, it does it happen did, exactly chapter 30 and verse 31 Chapter 30 and verse 31. He said, Levan, what shall I give you? And Yaakov said, do not give me anything. What does that remind you of? Abraham, Abraham sure. Not even that sandal strap. If you'll do this thing for me, I will resume pasturing and guarding your flocks. Let me pass through your whole flock today. Remove from there every speckled or spotted lamb, every brownish lamb among the sheep, and the spotted or speckled among the goats, 
that will be my wage. What is he saying to Lavan? Lavan, your name means white. I'll just go through and grab everything that ain't white. <laughs> and that'll be mine. And that way, when you happen upon my flocks, you find something that's white, it must be Levant's. So we're cool. So what happens over the next several <coughs> years, six years in fact? Speckles. Speckles, but non-white. <laughs> whoop, 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 whoop. Those are mine. Oh, it's a white one. <laughs> Wimpy's too. <laughs> right? Do you get the play on the words? You see what he did? He's playing off the guy's name. And God blesses it. Now, we actually, one of the funny, one of the funniest portion discussions we have on record is <laughs> he's talking about the mandrakes or the Judaim or what uh, Karen Gordon called the love apples. <laughs> Um, so we're we're moving into Mandrake City. I beg your pardon, Yehoshua. Yes, sir. I was wondering, what does the rods that Yahov cuts? Yeah, and and when they were strong, he threw those little bad boys in there, and you need to ask your mom about it. No, no, um, help me with. Um, with with the uh, rods and uh, peel, peelable bark right, and uh, he can go first and then me. Okay. <laughs> give, give me some uh, theories. Pure, peelable bark uh, opportunities here for Joshua. Well, where is your dad? Your dad is not here. I notice. Okay, great. The, I mean, there's several views as to what exactly is going on with this story. Uh, the most Something's exciting. So, something is going on, that's sure. Uh, so the most plausible view is that Jacob's taking sticks, um, and he's, well, one view, let's just put it that way, and he's putting them in the water source. Yes, that's right. So they're not, he's not putting it in front of them to see, although they can see it. Yeah. He's putting it in the water source, and that causes Jacob evidently being very The cool husband, yeah. And... He must have studied a lot in the tents of zoology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you thought he wasn't going out to hunt. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So he puts this in the water, and I forget exactly the details of the explanation. That causes a change of the DNA of the particular animals, and then he, through selection, continues breeding only the ones that are bred according to the... the whatever is in this water. So selection of the fittest is actually what's happening. Unnatural. But that happens Although by his... At first. That, first that, it's a new species. Yes, that happens by his hand. But what causes these animals to be born in this way, I would argue that by putting them in the water, he put them right where they could see them. So you've got something being ingested and something being seen. He's got two different senses going at the same time because animals drink from a trough. And you're looking at what they drink, unlike us who can, you know, look and so you then you. Yes, sir. It, but he does say that, it, you know, if, if, if I stipulated that the, the, the flock would be ringed, right. I got the new ones. Right? Yes. If it was exploded, I got spotted. And the, it, it does say that when he lays the rods in the water, the receptacles, 
he bared the white of them so that right. they couldn't see. Right. So was it a selfish thing? Was he was he purposely trying to amass his own flocks, or, or was, was he, he trying, trying to, to make them for the white, white guy? For the white guy. So, mm. so and, and it was and out of his humility and self nullification God actually me. still still. I like that. I think that's a new perspective good. on Jacob. Yes. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you then you yes. It does, and to get right, the right, heel right. of that concept is the um, the idea. I think that we learn from this just to reinforce the fact that God rewards the righteous, and oftentimes God, in His infinite justice, removes the wealth from the wicked and gives it to the righteous. And we see this principle. Judaism teaches this concept, and we see this principle um, in stories like Yossi, the Shabbos keeper. He always kept the Shabbat. He always had a nice meal on Shabbat. God. And then the, the wealthy guy learns by like a dream that this uh, poor Jewish guy is going to end up with all of his wealth. So he decides to put all of his money into a pearl so that, ah, see, you see the Shabbos keeper can't get my wealth. I've got it on my neck. And the pearl falls off and gets eaten by a fish. And you see the Shabbos keeper who always has fish on Shabbat buys a fish with the guy's pearl in it. And so it transfers the wealth from the rich guy to you see the Shabbos keeper. The point being that wealth is given by God. Wealth is not something that you accrue because you work harder than everybody else or you cheat people to get it. It is ultimately given by God alone. He's the only one who has the power to give wealth. And so when you live righteously, then you are more likely to be blessed by God, which is the only way you can really get wealth. And that doesn't mean that the wicked people don't receive things in this world and the righteous people get things in the world to come. I mean, but at the same time, there are times when God in his infinite wisdom chooses to reward the righteous in this world as well. And that's what we see here with Jacob. Jacob's priority was first and foremost God. And then after that, God blessed him with material things. So to your question, Joshua, I don't know exactly what was going on there, but I do know that God was rewarding Jacob because of his righteousness, and he was, in his wisdom, punishing Laban at the same time, which is pretty cool. Always do good to your customer, even at your own loss. And your brother. The... Uh... I'm looking for the verse, but I can't find it right at this moment. Deuteronomy 18, I believe, is one of my father-in-law's favorite eight. verses. Deuteronomy 8. 816 eight, 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 yeah. or 818? 816. It is God who will make you wealthy. God provides the wealth. Well, not there's a proverb that says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Praise God. Just on a practical level, one thing that we can, we as men... Ladder, please. Uh, on a practical level, one thing that we as men can learn, of course, from Jacob here is just he, he definitely works smarter, not harder. He's got a lot of brilliant tactics here, but I love at the end, we were even talking about this at the break, after all of that, he would have been easily able to attribute his amassed wealth to his own doing, his own stuff. but he didn't. And that's an angel That's a yeah. Well, that's an angel Yeah, but that and that should be our perspective. We should try our best to work very, very hard and and try to be smart about the way that we work. But then in the end, when we get blessed, it's all God, from God's hand. I mean, and for those of you who are in your twenties, this guy worked twenty years. It doesn't come overnight, Gabby. Yes. Again, on a practical level, one thing that that I've been trying to do is as we go through the parsha for our Rev Shabbat dinners to have something that, that is from the Parsha. And um, I was looking at these sticks and looked it up, even if it was a poplar or something. It's some, it's some there. No, 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 no. Love apples. I was looking and it said it was a, it was a white, it was a white. Um, yeah, like a poplar. A white, from a white tree. 
So I was thinking, my kids used to call um, you know, broccoli or little green trees and cauliflowers white trees. So um, I didn't have any, but it works out that even at our Shabbat table, Lori brought this little dish and it was broccoli and, and the cauliflower, so we had that. And um, the kids helped me make a little dessert that was a little cookie bar and we used pretzels to make a little ladder. So we had a ladder. But it, it's, it's helpful, one, and when we're reading through the parsha to think of yeah. think of things like yeah. that. What is it to do? And then it's something fun that the kids can enjoy. And, and the, the Shabbat guests, have have like caught on to that, so they're looking at the spread going. Trying to find, trying to find. So it's just fun. Yeah, I think that's great, and a and a, a great example to the rest of the women here, always. Genesis thirty-one. And he heard the words of Levan's sons saying, Yaakov has taken all that belonged to our father. And from that which belonged to our father, he amassed all his wealth. Yaakov also noticed Levan's disposition that, behold, it was not toward him as in earlier days. And out of the blue, while he's sitting somewhere, Adonai said to Yaakov, Return to the land of your fathers and to your native land, and I will be with you. I juxtapose this statement from Lavan's sons with the statement of Leah and Raquel. When Yaakov, in a moment, goes up to them and says, I think we're in deep doo-doo and we've got to go. And their response is, what do we got? We got nothing, right? Whatever we were going to get as an inheritance from our fathers, he's uh, from our father. He's already spent. He's used up our stuff. Bum that he is. So let's go. Now I don't get the whole. Let's go in and get the the idol thing. We'll get there in a second. But it's interesting that the sons think Jacob stole it all. Did he steal anything? No. 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 The daughters don't dwell on the wealth that Jacob has, or the lack of wealth that Levon appears to have. But they look at his character. And I think it's noteworthy that they're all looking at the money. You think? I think this passage reminds me of a verse we see in Jeremiah. Um, because it's interesting that Rachel and Leah are convinced to leave because yeah. they have no inheritance from their father. Right. Which reminds me of Jeremiah. and Jeremiah, God prophesies and talks about the nations. He says the nations are going to come to Israel, which is Jacob. And they're going to say, we've inherited lies from, from our, our fathers. fathers. And that's exactly sort of what's going on here. It's oh. like, we've got nothing. Why would we stay with him? He's not giving us anything. And that's exactly what ultimately happens. Because the they're talking about an inheritance. The nations of Israel come, or the nations come to Israel and they say, we've got nothing. We've been worshiping these gods. Yeah. They got us nothing. So we'll go with you. I like that. I like that. Should we? I think we should. Swing it, it's out of the park! Yeah. Yes, follow on the heels. The other thing that's being pictured here is when does God give the command for Yaakov to return to the land? When Levan 
starts to openly become hostile. Hostile. Yeah. Okay. He sees the disposition is different. So, prophetically, that's a picture of when the host nation, yes, or yeah. nations, as it were, become openly hostile towards Jacob and his family. Yeah. Then God go. says, "Get back to the land. It's time to return home." Mm. Right. Um, and the other, the other thing that there are LL flights leaving next Tuesday. <laughs> uh, the other, the other thing that was interesting is um, when when Jacob uh, has this conversation with Rachel and Leah about, "Hey, you know, I think I think it's time to, to go." Right. I think Pop's um, you know, pushing hard here. They basically say, um, it's verse 16 of chapter 31, uh, but all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So now, whatever God has said to you, do it. Right? So there, the, the thing that jumped out at me was Rachel and Leah are like, it, you know, whatever God said, let's do it. Yeah. Right? And their willingness to be obedient and their... Uh, encouraging Jacob yeah. to not hesitate. Well, didn't, didn't you see like a confirmation from the wife kind of thing like we always look for? Absolutely. Right? You think God's leading you this way. You say to your wife, you know, I, I'm, I'm sensing God's leading this way. And she goes, that's exactly what I thought. You need to do that. Yeah. Which is, in, in at least in my life, an amazing motivator. Good. And so, other hands. Ma'am. This reminds me a little bit of Rebecca. When she was getting ready to go and her family said, oh, let us keep her 10 days or 10 years yeah, or whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Same and guy. They were wanting to keep her. <laughs> That's right, it was the same guy. And 10 months, they, wasn't it? It was, well, it depends on what you read. It's yeah, yeah. 10 days to 10 years. But, um, so she said, they said, well, let her make the choice. Yeah. She said, then I will go. Then I'll go. And I think it's the following on of understanding that when God moves, you move with him. That's it. Good. Yeah. Laban, at the, the beginning, I mentioned that Jacob is leaving Beersheba, going to Haran, and now he's leaving Haran to go back to where he came from, back to the Tents of Holiness. And Levan, representing the world, representing evil, objects and says, you know what? The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for my daughters and their children that have born? And then he goes on. So in other words, you go back. You can have your books and your study and your holiness. But the next generation, generation, come on, leave them here. They're not going to be able to know anything about the world if they go to you and with you. They need to learn about the ways of the world with me, is one way to interpret that. So he represents the world constantly tugging on the the righteous person to leave any kind of holiness or study for the next generation at least and even you yourself to I mean, go back yeah. to that. Did you see the parallel with Abraham? It, it's I mean we talked about that he's a deceiver, right? I mean he's this this guy's telling the lies. What did God say to Abraham? Hey, check it out. Walk this way, that way this way, any way you want to walk, all that you see, I'm going to give it to you. What's Levon say? Hey, the kids over there, the girls, all those flocks, 
Everything you see is mine. It's a lie. In fact, all that you see is anything but his. Reminds me of when the master is tempted and. The, oh. the Satan offers the world. Yeah, the whole thing. It's mine to give. Joy, you can have it all. Yes. Uh, to play off the, we seem to be oftentimes taking this and making it eschatological, eschatological, where we we see this actually this the plan of redemption being played out, and certainly within within the picture of being in the diaspora and we're in the exile and we're being called back to the land and all. It's interesting that when when Laban chases uh, uh, Yaakov yeah. and he's about to enter the land, that they meet up at what's now called the land of, of Gilead or uh, Mount Gilead. And it's the pile of stones, it's the mountain of witness or whatever else, which is exactly the same place that, uh, that the prophet Ezekiel speaks of with regard to the nations uh, invading or trying to... to uh, uh, destroy Israel, and the names of the nations involved are modern, are modern, recognizable nations yes. attacking from the north. And it says that God destroys them on the mountains of Israel. And the description is the northern mountains of Israel, which is which is near Mount. This is the same place. Yeah. So yeah. Laban, the kingdom of this world, trying to destroy Jacob, Israel. And Laban, the kingdoms of this, this world trying to destroy Israel, are both going to be annihilated. Yeah. And Laban's putting up of a witness there at that northeastern border stands as a cosmic witness. You can no go no further. That's right. And this is, this is the exile is also God over and over again talks about, I will bring my children from the north, yes. which is precisely where Jacob comes from. Yeah. So even though the people of Israel are scattered to the four winds right now, God's like focus, as it were, is on that exile from the north, which is the most dramatic one. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's very interesting. Again, we see another tie-in here. Um, yeah, it makes me wonder if Laban's name means the moon. We've had a lot of interesting moon, like e lunar eclipse things happening yes, starting next do. year. Yes, we do. Yeah, Islam. Yeah, they, they, they like the moon. Okay. We uh, close with chapter 32, and once again, the bookends of the Malachim, the angels. This is a camp of angels. It's an amazing thing. Yes? Just real quick. I know we've been hanging on Levant Quickly, radar. Quickly, it's an ad ever been ad Okay. So, I did read some commentary on this that, you know, Levant, you know, he... You know, he did some pretty bad stuff, but here in, in, in chapter 32, he, he kissed his sons, his grandsons, and his granddaughters, and he blessed them. And the sages say, even though Levon, you know, wasn't a great guy, his blessing that he gave was sincere, and that shouldn't necessarily be dis discounted as a blessing. Okay. I found that interesting. Okay. But simply demonstrating once again the graciousness of the sages. Final comments on the portion. Yeah. Someone can correct me if I'm mistaken here, but Rachel Oh, trust me, we will definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Rachel steals the household gods, right? I hate this portion. I know. Yeah, and I always think about this just as I read it. I don't recall that anyone ever catches her for that. Whether she gives them back. Why did she give them back? As, as, as far as I can tell, 
nobody knows that she took them except except herself, Jacob, right? And she never gives them back. Yeah. Levon never finds out. Yeah. And she uses a poor reason for not uh, being buried. Well, that's what I was thinking, because that's then Jacob says, whoever has done this will die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so but, of course, but of course, 10 out of 10 die. So the fact that she died is really never. Die now! Now that's a different deal, right? Although she does, well, die, she does early. die early. She does die early. She does die early, yeah. And she, in, in childbirth, yeah. right, which, you know, sitting, well, anyway. Yes, sir. Are you going to talk about the... Yeah. Okay, good. It's, it was uh, one of the things that I was thinking of was for a man, we have the ability to turn over a vow when it's made by our wives. But I think this is just a good example of how careful we need to be when we make a vow. Because I think the traditional understanding is that it was because what he, of what Jacob said mm -hmm. that yes. caused Rachel. the premature death of yeah. Rachel. It, and it was because he didn't know. Yeah. Mm. Um, so... Watching what we say, I think, is very yeah. important. Yeah. Um, I also think it's uh, it's noteworthy that the scripture makes it clear that we do have more authority and the ability to annul things as either a dad or as a husband. And I do think it's noteworthy, as Lori pointed out, Jacob never seems to know. So he did not have the ability to protect her. Even though God had given him the ability to protect her, he was unable to do so because she never told him, wives, speak to your husbands. But the, um, the other interesting thing is, at the beginning of the portion, when he's still in the land, you know, when he's Beersheba and then Bethel, there's angels everywhere. There is. Right. It's amazing. And only he sees God it. sees angels, man. As soon as he arrives in Haran, and for 20 years, no angels. There's no angels. Now, in verse uh, verse 3 of chapter 32, Jacob went on his way, and angels of God encountered him. Yaakov said when he saw them, this is a godly camp, so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. The idea is that when he went on his way, it, it, at that point is when he crossed the border into, into Canaan, and the Malachim were there immediately to escort him as he traverses the land. So it's just this picture of the special uh, anointing, blessing, presence, whatever, yeah. however you want to describe it, yeah. of the land, right? And the malachim that are there to guard and protect the, the righteous in the land. You bet. So. And the 20 years are out with those. So, yes. if you're not going back to those sticks, are you? No. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm talking about the idols. Yeah, let's go. So, if. The wife is supposed to call the husband, yes. and the husband has apparently wants her to obey God, right? Absolutely. Why does she just steal them? Exactly. <laughs> she was not I think we're putting this, we're checking this up for she a mistake. My so point is, two mistakes. One, she took those. Two, she didn't tell her husband. Why did she take them? Stupidity. They're worth money. Well, and don't you also think that she was... She came from the world. So she's she in the came culture? from that culture. That, so, you know, hey, we're teaching you to lie, cheat, and steal. So this so, might, it might be a good thing to have these guys. Well, the, the sages say she steals them so that Laban won't worship them. Anymore. Yeah, well, of course they yeah. Well, that's not, well, it could be true, because you don't see her necessarily worshiping them. And actually, the sages said, because the cool thing is teraphim, and the, and the Zohar plays off of the word teraphim, 
and they related to the, the similar similar Hebrew spelling as traif, which is like nasty. Unclean. Yeah. Yeah. And then she hides them underneath her when she says she's in nida, which yeah. is like serious uncleanness. Yeah. And it's interesting because that ties in with the whole like your righteousness is like filthy rags, yeah. similar concept mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's almost like she's looking at the idols as like these are really nasty. Like she didn't take them because she wanted them. She knows they're dirty. They're gross. She was maybe trying to defend Laban from doing that. Either way, it's almost like there's like a like subliminal commentary on these idols. These idols are so nasty, you're going to have them underneath you. you know. mm-hmm. So what Joshua, did she destroy them? We don't know. It doesn't oh, suck. Joshua, it seems to me that uh, I've learned today that we should follow the sage's advice and always think the best of everyone. So while I think it was stupid that she took these, the godly men here have pointed out that she was potentially protecting her own father from idol worship. I can work with that. I don't know if I agree with it, but I can work with that. And it's certainly better to think good of someone than bad. Last comment, absolutely without question. Too slow, I'll pray. Good Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God. And once again, a great portion where we've not only seen your hand at work, the patriarchs and the blessings which you've brought through their lives down through the ages, but we've also seen Messiah and pictures and examples of his work and his person. Father, we pray for those that still do not see, those that are descendants of Jacob, descendants of Isaac. Father, we pray for them, for their salvation that you would now, after allowing us an opportunity to come in, that now you would remove that veil, Father, that they would see the glory of your Son on each page of the Tanakh. We're grateful for the community you provided and the opportunity to fellowship one with another here. We pray a special blessing on Jonathan today. And we lift up uh, Mark Pittock in Canada who's ill today, an elder of his community, we pray that you would grant him strength, that you would heal his body. Father, we, uh, we don't know what tomorrow brings other than higher insurance costs, but we are grateful for your hand in our lives and pray that you would cause us to reflect on your care, on your word, and on the soon return of your Son. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.